Hello, I'm Ray Reich, founder and CEO of RevOps Squared, and your host of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. We talk to a wide variety of B2B, SaaS, and cloud thought leaders, executives, investors, and people just like you to discuss the metrics and benchmarks they use to make metrics-informed decisions. Now on to today's show. Welcome to today's episode of the Metrics That Major It podcast. Today, we are joined by Mary Dionofrio, partner at Bessemer Venture Partners. Today, we'll be covering four main topics with Mary. First, the catalyst behind their recently published Bessemer Scaling to 100 Million research report. Second, the top lessons learned in benchmarks from the research. Third, enterprise valuations. Can private B2B cloud company valuations and multiples be sustained at these levels? And fourth, measuring your B2B cloud company performance versus these benchmarks, how to avoid selection bias. Mary, can you please take a moment to give a brief background overview of your journey to becoming a guest on the Metrics and Measure Up podcast? Sure, and thanks so much for having me. I'm Mary Genofrio, a partner at Bessemer Venture Partners, which I joined in 2018 to start the firm's growth investing practice. We have a 100-year-old firm, and historically, Bessemer has been far more focused on seed Series A and call it early Series B. But in 2018, when I joined, we really invested in becoming a multi-stage firm. I spend almost all of my time in SaaS and in cloud investing, some in developer tools with investments in LaunchDarkly and Zapier, automation, an investment in hyperscience, data privacy with an investment in Big ID. And I also spend a lot of my time thinking about cloud broadly. I maintain the BVP NASDAQ Emerging Cloud Index, which is a benchmark for public cloud companies, authored the 10 laws of cloud and the state of the cloud. And I most recently published the Scaling to 100 Million report. So I'm thrilled to be here discussing one of my favorite topics in the recent report. For anyone who doesn't follow Bessemer Venture Partners and all the great content they put out, especially the Cloud 100 report, they can go to bvp.com and actually see all the different assets you produce. Correct, Mary? Certainly. That's a great idea. Well, let's get into the report. So first question I have for you is what was the catalyst to developing this scaling to 100 million ARR report? Yeah, certainly. The impetus for creating the report was really just that I kept hearing the same questions from especially CFOs and CEOs in my portfolio asking me, hey, what are typical gross margins at our stage? What did you know X, Y, or Z company look like when it was going public? What's the normal percentage of revenue that we should be spending on sales and marketing? And I'd get these questions one off and ad hoc, but I've gotten them steadily over the past three years. And then I would also get requests from my other partners at Bessemer wanting the same information for their companies too. So I decided to finally put it together. Alongside my co-author, Ethan Ding, we went through 10 years worth of Bessemer cloud company data to aggregate metrics from hundreds of companies and, and thousands of data points to surface the results. And that was really the impetus and you know, wanting to democratize the access to what metrics matter, what they mean, and how you should benchmark yourself. Let's dig right into the metrics that matter and the findings from your research and the report that you just published. And the first finding that I saw was ARR and really committed ARR growth is the North Star. Can you tell us a little bit more about what led you to the finding that this is the number one metric and benchmark that a B2B cloud company should be looking at? 
Sure. And ARR, you know, recurring revenue is the annualized amount of recurring software revenue that a cloud company has at any point. And I shared it first because it's the main metric used to determine private cloud company valuations and can be obviously a higher level metric for success. You know, is the product resonating? Are customers actually demanding it? And while gap revenue only accounts for the ratable amount of annual contract value that cloud companies earn in a given period, whether it's recurring or one-time revenue, ARR will give full credit for the annual recurring contract and net out not recurring revenue. So ARR will give cloud companies credit for their customer growth that gap revenue alone wouldn't capture. And you know there are multiple things that impact ARR that we explored more in the report. New logo, customer acquisition, but also gross retention, net retention. And I think the reason that it's it's so important to track as a cloud company is because you know, not only is that kind of the high level result of all of the operational efficiencies that you try to put in place and in, in product development efforts, but it shows really what the progress is in resonance with the market. Click a little bit more into committed ARR growth. And the first question I have for you on that is, did you evaluate or see a correlation using something like an R squared factor to CARR growth? in company valuations at each round or even from a public offering? Yeah, CAR growth and ARR growth rate does correlate very highly to at least multiple that you would be receiving, not not absolute valuation, but multiples on ARR. And that's a pretty well-known statistic and validated by the Bessemer portfolio data as well. I recently looked at the public comp data, so different than private, and we looked at what is the R-squared factor for things like net dollar retention and CARR growth. And it was around about a 0.29 to 0.32 R squared factor in the public comps that I analyze. Is that similar to what you're seeing in private comps? I don't have the R squared off the top of my head. I will say though that higher growth rates almost always receive higher ARR multiples because investors, many of them see it as you know paying ahead a certain amount of time. And for example, if you our company growing incredibly quickly, the time it'll take to grow into a multiple is far shorter. Depending on the growth rate, you know, a 30x multiple could turn into a 10x multiple, you know, within six months or within a year or within two years. And so the higher the growth rate, the higher the ARR multiple that investors are generally willing to pay. That was an insight from your report that I never really thought about. And that is, if you're growing at 300%, and you get a 40x multiple and you grow like that for the next year, you can very quickly become a 10x multiple. So you really are paying ahead for that growth. But there was a question I had about growth, and that was why you decided not to break out net dollar or net revenue retention as kind of a separate learning or lesson, and you had that within the CARR learning. Sure. I think the reason that I I structured it that way, and obviously there could have been uh, other ways to structure it, is just because both gross retention and net retention will hit your ARR or affect your ARR over time. Gross retention is the percentage of dollars that you retain over a period of time from a given cohort. And net retention is how an existing cohort of your customers might actually pay you more over time and sometimes less. But net retention includes upsell and expansion ARR that would, in general, in cloud, top cloud companies have existing cohorts paying them more over time. I think they both have such tremendous impacts on ARR because gross retention, if you lose dollars period over period, you have to refill that bucket before you actually create any net growth, which is shown in your year-over-year growth rates. And with net retention, the powerful thing about that is that 
when you have existing cohorts of customers paying you more over time, your sales and marketing dollars can go to only creating new logos that can enhance your growth rate. And so like, for example, if you have net retention of 130% and you're targeting a 50% year over year growth rate, you know, your existing customers are going to give 30% of that 50% and you'll only have to find 20% elsewhere. Higher net retention rates is a pretty nice way to enter the year. But let me ask a little bit more about net retention because you are leading growth stage investments. And before I ask the question, can you just define what at Bessemer you consider growth stage investments? Uh, uh, what stage of ARR is that? We don't have an exact ARR threshold, but we like to think about it as kind of series B and beyond. So anything that's past product market fit, and generally we think about it as investments that generally we're pouring money onto, but have the start at least of a scalable go-to-market engine. The trends, and I know you've got several portfolio companies who have led this trend, is the concept of product-led growth. And I see a pretty tight correlation between net retention rates and PLG companies, especially if they also have usage-based pricing, versus more traditional subscription-based models. Do you actually, when you look at benchmarks, do you have a different, I say, range for net retention of a PLG-led company than you would a non-PLG-led company when you look at making an investment and valuing the company? There's not like a benchmark or a firm threshold that we look for, but I think in general, we will find that product-led growth companies tend to have higher net retentions. Oftentimes, that's because they're either, to your point, usage-based or something like that, that you know will scale over time, whereas non-PLG companies will be things like you know, a lot of finance software or something where you have probably a higher land ACV, but less expansion over time. Um, and so you'll expect to see more higher net retentions in product-led growth companies. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a better model, but you would expect expansion over time because you're starting with a smaller base and trying to permeate an organization rather than having a large land ACV. Another thing that was in your report, and it's a new metric that I think you were very involved with introducing, and that is growth endurance. Can you share with our listening audience a little bit about what growth endurance is and why this is being highlighted as such a new, important, critical metric you evaluate? Yeah, sure. So while we know that the average growth rate for a cloud company tends to decrease over time as the base of revenue gets larger and larger, as investors, we're often tasked with modeling out the future growth of a company based on imperfect information. And a helpful heuristic that we like to use is that idea of growth endurance, which is the rate at which growth is retained from one year to the next. And it tends to be relatively consistent in cloud companies. And looking at cloud companies, it, when we plot the percentage of ARR growth lost between each year, we find that it decays at a fairly predictable 30%. As a private cloud company, you should expect next year's growth rate for your business to be about 70% of the current year. And in public cloud, growth endurance is even stronger at 80%. It's a heuristic. It's not meant to be deterministic by any means, but it's a good heuristic for what you should anticipate growth to look like in future years, absent material amounts of information. And particularly as you're thinking about reaching that exit velocity necessary to become a public company or to achieve scale enough to have an exit, you can use the growth endurance principle to back into how fast you should be growing along the way. So like, for example, if you assume that you want to exit into the public markets at 20 to 30% year over year growth, you need to be growing 30% faster than that year before, the year before that, et cetera, et cetera. The trends I've just started to look at, so I don't have a lot of truly deterministic data, but it's almost a reacceleration of growth as you get bigger. So I hear about the 30% decay, but I'm seeing some companies in the 200, 300 million, they go public 
and they're actually seeing reacceleration. Is that a trend you're seeing? And if it is, how do you explain that? That's certainly true of some companies. You know, there are companies that have growth endurances north of 100% or north of 1x, however you want to look at it. And, and they, you know, find either new levers of new second acts to expand their TAM. They layer on things like payments, for example, our, our company Shopify, Toast, Service Titan, we just talked about in the state of the cloud is layering on payments as additional growth drivers over time. And obviously, you know, scale creates a virtuous cycle of market leadership, pricing power, talent, et cetera, that further enforces a company's lead. I'd say in general, what looking at thousands of data points, what we find is that the growth endurance heuristic tends to hold true. And the tendency is that cloud companies actually do decelerate year over year, but certainly for some that that are beneficiaries of kind of additional second acts and virtuous cycles, you know, to your point, they can accelerate. Mary, one last question on this, and I guess because I find it so personally fascinating, so I hope our listening audience does. You talked about the deceleration is fairly predictable. Is it fairly linear also from 10 million to 25 million to 50 million to 100 million, or is it not so linear? I didn't look at the breakdown of ARR ranges for when it came to growth endurance. The data that I aggregated was just across the entire portfolio. And so I, I don't have a clear answer to you on that. This is just the line of best fit across all of the data points. Great. Well, thank you for answering that. Let's move on to the next topic, which is the second lesson that you highlighted in the Scaling to 100 Million ARR report, and that was win by wide margins. Now, when I first read it without going into the detail, I thought, oh, maybe this is about your close rates or even having higher growth rates over to competition, but it's really about gross margin, right, Mary? Gross margin, and then and then obviously kind of optimizing margin structure up and down. It was more meant to be a, a cute title rather than anything else. But the effective point of the second lesson was to optimize your margin structure to what we think it should be at maturity, and you know over time in ensuring that you know your margin structure comes in line with, especially as you grow, what the public markets will finally anticipate. You're talking about both gross margins, so revenue minus your cost of goods sold, but also operating margin. Is that correct, Mary? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's dig into that because with gross margin, I think most experienced cloud leaders would say, okay, it kind of ranges between 65 and 80%. So is that a good range to kind of think about, Mary? Yeah, over time, what we see is that the average cloud company gross margin is between 65 and 70%, regardless of ARR scale. So you might think of that as being something that then you can kind of ignore. But the reality is that most successful cloud companies live within that range. It's a, it's a relatively tight band. So 65 to 70, you think, is that tight band? That's an average. I'd say the middle 50% distribution tends to be around between about 60 and 80%. Did you, and I'm sorry, we didn't even think about asking this question, but you just, it popped to my mind, percentage of total revenue coming from services versus subscription or usage, we know it has a, can have an impact on gross margin. Is that something you look at when you're making an investment decision, how professional services actually may decrease total gross margin? Yeah, and, and usually that's one of the core elements of COGS in cloud companies. It's usually professional services, hosting costs, 
software implementation costs, some customer success as well. Um, and so generally, software companies that are able to deliver their software absent professional services become more valuable because their gross margins end up being higher. And obviously, more of those dollars can then agree to profit rather than you know needing to be consumed by software delivery costs. But many software companies have professional services as being facilitating drivers of their customer uptake. So having professional services isn't necessarily awful by any means. We just tend to suggest to companies to keep it within a relatively tight band. Roger, now are you comfortable sharing with the of total revenue what you think professional services should max out at? Is it 10%? Is it 20? Or it depends on the operating model? It, it definitely depends on the operating model. I, I'd say you know, if you can keep your gross margin as a whole between 65 and 70%, far be it for me to be prescriptive about exactly what how the, the cogs break, break down. Now we talked about COGS. So this is a question I get asked all the time, and that's, do these costs go into your cost of goods sold or into operating expense? So do you see the same kind of challenge and maybe even inconsistent application of this in some of the Bessemer portfolio companies when you first become an investor? Yeah, I, I think the way we like to break it down is to whether or not the customer success expense actually has to do with the selling motion or not. If it does, if it's you know renewal, expansion, et cetera, then you should put it into sales and marketing costs, or at the very least, try to allocate a certain percentage to sales and marketing. And if those customer success costs are things like, hey, I'm responding to a support ticket, I'm literally doing kind of implementation and and Q&A as someone's getting up and running, then that's clearly a cog. And so what we find is that most of our companies either do a percentage allocation between the two as like a percentage, or, you know, it's headcount specific and actually scoped in the job description such that they're able to allocate the salaries differently. Best practice is to allocate customer success costs based upon the task that they're spending 20% of their time on or 80%, correct? Yeah, exactly. Well, let me kind of dig down into one other thing in the win by wide margins. And I was surprised at this, Mary. I love this metric and that is CAC payback period, but you highlighted CAC payback period in this when by wide margins. Can you tell a little bit about number one for our listening audience who may not understand CAC payback period, but why did you put it into this section? Sure. So CAC payback is the rate at which the costs spent to acquire a customer are repaid by that customer. And it usually includes things like sales, marketing, and customer success expense. And that timeline really matters because it's only after you reach CAC payback that you're generating a positive return on any customer acquisition. During the payback period, you're simply recovering the money that you expended to acquire the customer. And the reason that I I put it into this section is because, first of all, the section talks about sales and marketing as a percentage of revenue, but also gross margin. And we suggest that CAC payback is gross margin affected. So COGS, as we were just discussing, are, are the variable costs attributed to selling a cloud software product. And for the cloud software, that includes things like hosting and implementation costs. By gross margin affecting CAC, you get closer to the profit that you're getting to net against the cost that you expended to acquire a customer. And as a whole, the entire point is to prove solid unit economics per customer. If you look at it purely on a revenue basis and not a gross margin basis, you're not accounting for those incremental costs that you need to expend in order to deliver the product to the customer. Oh, I love that advice. I even look at things like the CAC ratio, which is often not gross margin adjusted. I actually ask our clients to actually do a CAC ratio that is gross margin adjusted, but CAC payback period is naturally gross margin adjusted. One of the things that you didn't include in a report, and I hope I didn't miss it, Mary, and that was customer lifetime value or customer lifetime value to CAC 
um, ratio. Was there a reason why this wasn't part of your analysis? CLTV was in there and mentioned. I think the difficulty with systematizing it is just CLTV to CACs are so different customer to customer and, and very candidly not consistently reported on across the past decade of Bessemer cloud investments. So uh, difficult to aggregate the data more broadly, but what we recommend is that anything 3X or higher is very solid. Yeah. To the listening audience, if you you know are starting to do CLTV to CAT, make sure you include your churn rate in that calculation because often I've seen it um, actually not be included. It can artificially inflate. In fact, if you do CLTV to CAT too early into your life cycle, you could have almost a ratio of infinity because you don't have enough history to measure your actual churn rate if you've only got 12 to 18 months of history. But let's move on. And that is the favorite topic that founders have today. And that's to discuss and dream about the revenue multiples that they're seeing. And that was one of your top lessons. It's know your worth. So can you explain what know your worth means in the context of your research, Mary? Sure. So what I was really getting at was average valuation multiples over time. And across the past decade's worth of Bessemer cloud company data, we find that you know the average cloud company got a multiple of 31 times between 1 and 10 million of ARR, which decreased to 17 times between 10 and 50 million of ARR, and then just around 13 to 14 beyond 50 million of ARR and more. And understanding exactly what those kind of average multiples look like such that you can hopefully you know, as you're approaching a financing or you're approaching a valuation, understand what typical looks like. I'm going to repeat those numbers. So between one and 10 million, you've seen historically about 31x, and that's 12-month forward-looking revenue multiples, Mary? No, that's current ARR. That's current ARR. Okay, it's a great clarification. At 10 to 50 million, 17x, and greater than 50 million, 13x. Now, how have you seen this change over the last one to two years? Have you seen those being inflated compared to those 10-year historic averages? Yeah, certainly. The valuation environment of the past decade was definitely more conservative than 2021. I analyzed this in the Cloud 100 Benchmarks Report, and obviously those are the, the 100 best cloud companies every year. And the average Cloud 100 multiple was a 34x, up from 9x in 2016. And so that's just one data point to show how vastly uh, multiples have expanded. And across the the Bessemer portfolio, the standard is more like 20x across any um, size and scale of cloud business. And we think that this reflects a few things. First of all, the overall understanding and appreciation of the cloud business model, kind of the secret is out, so to speak, about cloud, which leads to number two, which is that the returns that have been realized in cloud are, are phenomenal. You know, in just the past week alone, we've seen Tosco Public, Freshworks, Amplitude, and, and lastly, you know, the vast quantums of capital chasing these scarce companies. And the more competition, the higher the, the prices. It's uh, fundamentally supply and demand. Okay, so the, my last question is going to be one that I didn't pre-think, and that is, what didn't I ask you about the findings and report and lessons that you'd like to share with our listening audience? Yeah, no, I think you covered most of the topics. I think, you know, if folks are interested in learning more, you can go to bvp.com slash scale, which has the full report and even has some templates that you can download to benchmark your company over time. So you're offering templates that have this data pre-built into it so a company can enter in their key performance indicators and metrics and actually see how they measure up there in real time. Correct. And we would love for you to use them. That is very cool. I'm so glad you're providing that tool. Well, let's um, wrap up with 
three questions that's going to give our audience a little bit of a chance to get to know Mary a little bit better. And that is, and I know you have so many great companies in your portfolio, so these are going to be tough questions. But the first one is, you know, is there a CEO or company in the cloud space that you think is a must follow right now? Yeah, of course. I think LaunchDarkly is the, the company led by a fantastic founder and CEO, Edith Harbaugh. They're uh, leading the way on feature management. And as every company becomes a software company, they're allowing for feature releases to happen more reliably and scalably. Um, it's definitely one to follow. Could you repeat that company's name, please, Mary? LaunchDarkly. LaunchDarkly. That's a new one to me. And is that a, um, a Bessemer portfolio company? That it is. Very lucky to be invested in LaunchDarkly. We led the C and then the Series C one. Wow, that's great. Okay, second question. Which tool should every B2B cloud company be using to drive and accelerate growth? I know it's hard to pick just one. There are so many great companies that you can use to accelerate growth. I, I think I'll answer a different way and just focus on something that I think every company should be using. It's called Syndio, and it's a pay equity software company that ensures that people get paid equally for equal work. It's a company that Bessemer invested in recently that we're really proud to be partnered with. So Syndio, which is a pay equity company. God, I love that. And the third question is, um, what advice would you give a just recent college graduate or maybe an early career, first year or so, who wants to be the next great SaaS founder? What advice would you give them today? Sure. I think two things come to mind. First, the most successful founders I've seen know what their superpower is and then try to surround themselves with others who shine where they don't. You know, if you're a great technical CEO, maybe you find someone who, you know, really understands the business side and, and vice versa. So I think the ability to identify and then optimize your team is critical to success. And I'd really recommend thinking through that. And second, just uh, advice would be to go for it, build the next great cloud business. Great. So know your superpower and surround yourself with people who have different superpowers and go for it. I, I tell you, Mary, for almost 30 years, I spent time helping other people build their businesses. That was a great journey, but I never found a time to do my own. And now I'm doing my own company. I tell you, it's the best experience of my life. And I wish I would have heard your advice 30 years ago because I would have went for it back then. You're very kind. Thank you so much for having me. This has been such a pleasure. Okay. And lastly, I'm going to leave this with the audience because I am such a fan of the content, research, insights that Bessemer Venture Partners puts out. Um, one more time, Mary, can you please provide the URL where they go and find both the scaling to 100 million report, but your cloud 100 report, et cetera? Yes, yeah, certainly. You can find the scaling report at bvp.com slash scale. Um, we have a bunch of our cloud content and resources at bvp.com slash cloud. And you can find me on Twitter at M-C-A-D-O-N-O-F-R-I-O. Okay, well, that's a wrap to today's episode of the Metrics at Major Rep podcast. Um, we really want to thank you for listening. And to our listening audience, it would mean the world to us. If you like the quality of guests and content like we had with Mary today, please go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. Give us a five-star ranking. And if you don't think it's a five-star, please leave a recommendation of how we can make the guests and content resonate and be even more valuable to you. Mary, thank you so much again. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to today's Metrics to Measure Up podcast. If you would like to learn more about B2B SaaS metrics and benchmarks, please visit revopsquared.com.